You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, if you have been around this podcast at all, you know that I love talking about real life things with real life people. And after my husband and I moved from Montana, where there is no ethnic diversity to Little Rock, Arkansas, my eyes were open to so many things and so many amazing people. I'm excited to talk about a book today called The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Let me tell you a little bit about Kara Meredith. Kara Meredith is a writer and speaker whose work has appeared in numerous publications, including Christianity Today, I Believe, and For Every Mom. She writes Coloring Outside the Lines blog for Pathos. A former high school English teacher and outreach minister director, she holds a Master of Theology from Fuller Seminary, and she lives in the Bay Area with her husband and two sons. So welcome, Kara. Thank you. So excited to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. And okay, you talk about in your book, you grew up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Now I grew up in Northern California, (laughs) right on the Oregon border in a town called Weed. Yes. Have you? State of Jefferson. (laughs) I am well aware of that whole area. State of Jefferson. Yeah. Don't even know. Like that was the thing. We might, it is still the thing. We, we might spend our entire uh, time together just talking about that, which is this little sect of society that is, it is well known if you live there, but otherwise it is unknown, but you go ahead with your question. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because, um, like Oregon, Northern California should be their own thing together. Southern, <laughs> like Southern, Southern Oregon. Southern yeah, Oregon. Yeah, no. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is true. Southern Oregon, Northern yes. California. Let's go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's so cool. And then I, we you know it's California. We lived in California, moved mm-hmm. to Montana and then now live in Arkansas. Wow. And I know just like, just moving around mm-hmm. the country. We'll start with this because mm-hmm. I think moving around the country uh, for me, at least, my eyes were open mm-hmm. to ethnic um, just problems. And yeah. we go to an inner city church mm-hmm. that's multi-ethnic, and I love it so much. But I have to say, for so many years, um, I was really blind to a lot of things. So I would just love to hear just about you and you know, even um, how moving to a different place, mm-hmm. and then we'll, of course, talk about your marriage too, just really started to change your view of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I grew up mostly in the state of Oregon. Um, a little farther north than um, state of Jefferson and or weed and your listeners can look that up. Uh, but weed is a familiar stop on the I-5 corridor uh, right before yes. uh, you cross the border, certainly, and get into Ashland and Medford. Um, 
But I grew up in the state capital of Salem, so a few mm-hmm. hours north of that. And um, really growing up in Oregon in the 80s and 90s, um, I will say I, I love my home state. My parents still live there. Um, there is uh, diversity has come certainly to parts mm-hmm. that I um, uh, that did not have it when I was growing up. Um, but I grew up in a in an I guess what what you could say I I identify as white or as a person of European American descent and at that time growing up Salem was a very white place as well. Um, so for me it was it was a place that um, it wasn't unheard of to believe that we should be colorblind. Uh, that was mm-hmm. both in the church and in the school, and I write quite a bit about that in my book. Uh, but th- that was just part of culture. It was part of belief. It was part of rhetoric. It was what we were supposed to do was to not see color. And so as a little white girl growing up, um, if I ever did see a person of color, I didn't necessarily even know how to respond um, because I was led to believe that uh, the best thing to do was to not see color, to not see racial or ethnic uh, differences, but really to um, celebrate homogeneity and or our sameness. Um, and as far as, is that kind of answering the question at first? Or is there yeah, and I, I, I want to go a little mm-hmm. bit more into that because yeah. I think so many people say, well, shouldn't we be like that? Like, yeah. shouldn't we just see everyone the same? So I would love to, for you to even go a little deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think, I think there are a lot of well-meaning people that says, well, let's just not talk about the differences because yeah. let's just, we're all the same. So mm-hmm. I would just love you to share more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially for, again, and I'll probably say this phrase 13 times in our 35 minute conversation, it's but okay. <laughs> um, especially for those of us who identify as white, that is, it's, it's, not unheard of to um, Mm -hmm. believe that that is what we're supposed to do. And I think that that is the language, um, not even I think, but that is the language that many of us were raised in. And it it still is very prevalent. Um, For me, uh, along the way, I've begun to learn that, um, especially for my friends of color, especially for um, people of color in general, um, they're racial and ethnic identities are oftentimes the most important thing about them. And so for, for those of us who are white to not see that is to not honor that, um, and is to not celebrate that. And I I think it's, I mean, I just, the other day I was reading, um, a study that was talking about interracial relationships, friendships. So friendships that happen across color lines, so to speak. And it was saying that, um, for those of us who are white, we oftentimes want to look for the similarities and that's what we want to hone in on. And, um, for those, for those who are black, it was a, it was a study specifically of black and white folks, um, in interracial friendships, they want to hone in, or we want to hone in on the differences. And so for me, um, there's an honoring that has begun to happen and, um, and in my life, and I hope that it happens for the rest of my life, but that I would see and celebrate color. I would see and celebrate, uh, racial diversity. And, um, in doing that, I would celebrate God's kingdom. I would celebrate the wholeness of the individual, which includes, uh, their racial and ethnic identity. 
Yeah, that is so good. And I think that is something that people often don't realize. And in Northern California, in weed, Uh we went to a school that was very diverse. Yeah, yeah. Um, There was black, there was white, there was Laotian. There's a huge Laotian population. There's Italian. Uh But until I look back Uh as an adult, I realize like, oh, there was one area of town Uh where all the black families lived. There was one area of town where all the Laotian families lived. Uh And although we were friends, Uh everyone kind of went their own direction after school for the most part. Uh And we really didn't take time to celebrate. And Uh it wasn't until I started going to a multi-ethnic church where Uh we celebrate Black History Month Uh and learn about amazing people from Arkansas, where we live, Uh um, who have made a difference in Black history. And it is truly Uh eye-opening when you can see it in terms of, let's celebrate. Tell me about your history. (laughs) One of my um, dearest friends is 70. She just turned 70 this year. She's a Black woman. And she um, brought to our Teen Mom Support Group photos of her grandparents Mm. who were freed slaves and I'm just sitting there my eyes open like this is someone that I have known for years and for her to bring these photos and share her stories it is so amazing and I think that I I love that we're talking about that today because I think sometimes we think well let's just pretend like we're all the same Mm -hmm. and but no let's like sit down together and let me hear your stories and yeah. what is your life like? And um, how do you celebrate different you know, times of the year? And wh- what yeah. is important to your family? Those conversations are so beautiful and wonderful. And yeah. it truly does bring color to yeah. our life when we take time to do that. Well, and I'll say also, uh, and, and then we could go on to the next question, certainly, but, but there, but this is also, there's, there's also an onus or an impetus for those of us who are white and that mm-hmm. this is not just for people of color. Just like conversations of race and racial justice, that's not just for people of color to engage in, but that's for every single one of us to yes. engage in. It just If justice is for every single one of us, which is true, then what does it also mean for those of us of European American descent? So for me, it, it, for me personally, it means that I look at my Scottish, Irish, and Jewish heritage mm-hmm. And I say, okay, so what does this mean about who I am? What does this mean if I begin to dig into the family trees and into the lineage and into the poets and writers of my people? What does this mean for me also to celebrate? Because I think for, again, for those of us who are white, we can say, we can say, okay, well, white is is a nothing color. Whiteness doesn't matter. And yet that's only further perpetuating the problem and really problems of race uh, that that exist at deep um, and intrinsic systems within our country when when we don't also include ourselves, if, if we ourselves are the one who is white. So, so what does it mean for all of us to honor our heritage and the places from which we came? Yeah, I love that so much. My daughter, um, she's a missionary in the Czech Republic, oh. and she's lived there for seven years. Mm-hmm. She married a Czech. She's actually, well, she's able to finally travel home. Oh, <laughs> and so her good. and my little grandbaby mm. are, are here. Um, Amelia is 20 months old. Oh. And this little baby speaks Czech and English, which is just amazing to me. <laughs> um, and she's running around teaching us all these Czech words. That we're all learning. So I'm like, this 20-month-old is teaching us her yeah. culture, mm-hmm. teaching us mm-hmm. her words for things. Mm-hmm. When something um, drops, she's like, butts, butts, which means it, like, boom. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it's just like, this is so amazing. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, my grandbaby's as white as yeah. any other person out there, but she has a unique mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and we are learning from her and we are enjoying it. We're teaching her some American things, oh, yeah. and some American snacks. And it is <sighs> when we can look just 
everybody. Like right. we don't even have to, um, you know, say, okay, you're white. So obviously you don't yeah. have anything interesting in your yeah. life, but I love that so much. Well, and I love that you're learning from your granddaughter, that that is your mm-hmm. attitude, that it's that, I mean, it, it, I, even though we can't see each other right now, I imagine you standing there just with arms wide open, wanting to be a learner and wanting to engage because, because of who she is. And, and it's yes. no different when it comes to, um, interracial friendships, when it comes to issues of race and justice, that we would sit there as you do with your granddaughter and and just say, okay, arms wide open. I am a learner. Teach me. I want to learn. Yeah, that is so good. Okay. I do want to talk about um, your family because I know that you have, I'm sure, learned so much Mm -hmm. just being married to a black man and from your father-in-law. So just tell us a little bit about your story and how that has changed you in wonderful, beautiful ways. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, the man who became my husband, his name is James Meredith. Uh, We were set up on eHarmony. Shout out to eHarm. Yeah. Uh, All those (laughs) single listeners, but it worked for me. Um, But uh, we were set up on eHarmony and um, James, my husband, is a black man, African-American. And on our third date, he, uh, we went to his house and we were sitting down at, um, on the couch and he pulled out a stack of photography books and he, he placed them in front of me and he, um, opened one of them up to this earmarked page. It was, um, it had you know, been folded down. He had obviously, uh, thumbed through it before in the past. And he said, I want to show you something. And we opened up to the book, he opened it up and he said, this is my dad. And he pointed to this picture, this black and white photograph that spread across the page. It was huge. And I looked at the picture and I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to cuss on air here, but I was like, what? Uh, your, your dad, your father is Martin Luther King. I looked at the picture because there was a large photograph of Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, no, no, my, my dad is not Dr. King. My, my dad is the man standing, walking next mm. to him. My dad is a man named James Meredith. Um, so my husband and, and his father, the man who became my father-in-law, share the same name. Uh, but uh, James Meredith was a man uh, in, excuse me, is, he's still alive. Um, but in the 1960s, he was a big part of the civil rights movement, a known figure. Uh, in 62, he was the first black man to integrate into the University of Mississippi. Uh, so very, very close to you in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were, you could probably just take a, a road trip down to Oxford. Um, but first black man to integrate into Old Miss, which was a segregated university. Um, and then in 66, he organized uh, what was called the Meredith um, Walk Against Fear. It later became known as the March Against Fear. Um, but on the second day of the march, he was um, shot by a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. And uh, after he was shot, um, Martin Luther King Jr., hence the picture that I was talking about, and Stokely Carmichael and other writer, other um, not writers, but excuse me, other leaders of the um, civil rights movement who were part of the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Coalition, um, they came and they began to walk for him. And so what started as a single man's march or walk became known as the greatest, uh, the last greatest uh, march of the civil rights movement. So, uh, this whole crew, they, uh, they marched from, uh, Tennessee down to the state capital, um, Jackson, Mississippi. And, um, it was the last greatest movement, um, of, of, of that, uh, because soon thereafter, that's when the black power movement birthed. Uh, that's when, um, King kind of King moved to Chicago, some other things, he kind of started focusing on some other things. So all that to say, my, my father-in-law is a, um, 
a big part of history and marrying into the family changed me. Um, it just as it, it encouraged me um, to explore again my own family history. But um, for me as a white woman to marry into the family, it meant coming in with arms and hands wide open and just saying, okay, there's a whole lot that I don't know. Um, this story is not about me. <laughs> and what does it mean to have my eyes open to new ways of seeing history, to new ways of seeing theology or the Bible, to new ways of seeing people as a whole? And um, so that, in essence, is is part of my story. And it's um, in this book, The Color of Life, uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual memoir about my journey into that. And so it involves falling in love with my husband and uh, getting to know the greater Meredith family and a whole lot of other things along the way. That is such an amazing legacy that now mm-hmm. your boys have. Yeah, I know you have mm-hmm. um, two boys and just know they have that legacy. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned before moving from Montana to Arkansas. Yeah. And yeah. I remember going and sitting down at a restaurant mm. and there was a like a little league team and there's every race around yeah, that table yeah. um and i'm like oh i'm so glad i live here this is gonna be awesome mm-hmm. and then i remember going around and trying churches mm-hmm. and realizing i'm like wait yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no diversity yeah. um in these churches which i eventually mm-hmm. we found a church that had yeah yeah has wonderful wonderful amazing people that we've built great relationships mm-hmm. with um but i also remember going to the museum at central high school here mm. in little rock where this mm-hmm. the little rock nine yep. um and then since then at our church we've have different um, members mm-hmm. that were part of the Little Rock Nine. Actually, yeah. just recently, we had the first um, black woman who oh. went through all four years at Central High School, and she's a doctor now wow. and a professor, and just sharing her story. And every year, my I homeschool my kids. Um, wow. yeah. My youngest is nine. Every year, we go and we walk Central High School. And um, yes, we've heard it before, but we need to keep remembering. We need to. Oh, there's yeah. always going to be something new we're going to see and we're going to hear. Yeah. And I think until you live definitely mm-hmm. in the South or mm-hmm. are marry into a family. <laughs> that has been part of this. Mm. There is such rich history mm-hmm. that I think most of the nation, most mm-hmm. of the world does not understand. Yeah. Well, and that's where I, I mean, maybe our, our, our key phrase to, for today is, is open hands or open arms. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, as someone, my husband, uh, as you read in the bio, James and I live in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. And so um, the South is a part of who we are. But really, for me, it's a it's an adoptive part. Um, right. It's a place that I've, I've never lived in long term. I've only gone to visit. I've only really gone to... Um, absorb from the outside looking in. And so for me, I I just go, what does it mean to continue to be a learner of this legacy? Um, because it is, it is deep and it is beautiful and it is, um, bitter and it is all of Mm -hmm. the above. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it it has so much to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think until you start again, open hands, mm-hmm. building these relationships, mm-hmm. having these conversations. It is so easy to, you know, just have these key phrases, all mm-hmm. lives matter, or, you know, which, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't even understand, but I would love for you to just share, um, you're married to a black man, mm-hmm. you have you know, children, biracial children. I would just love for you to just open your heart to listeners and say, what does it really mean to you? And what is it like um, to just know the challenges that, that we, that they face that many of us so, don't understand at all? Yeah. Uh, well, deep breath and hopefully I don't start crying, but if I do, <laughs> I know that that's fine. Um, um, you know, the truth is that, um, I think I'm still learning and growing in this. Um, and I hope mm-hmm. again, that I always am. Um, mine is a 
learned and not a lived experience. And so um, even though I do, um, it is lived in the sense that I um, am in an interracial marriage, that I'm raising mixed race boys, um, I still am a white woman. And um, my perspective is always going to be that of a white person. Um, But as I look at my boys as I look at the last six months and certainly at the last three months um, in which civil unrest has mm-hmm. um, birthed in our country, a new civil rights movement. Um, there, there's so many different names for it. But um, when I think about that, I think, what does it mean for my husband and my boys to live in a world that truly values them and that sees them, uh, that my sons can walk down the street um, it, in a hoodie with a little hoodie over their heads. They're, yeah. like, they're six and eight years old, but um, that they would um, be seen as good, that they would um, be honored for the God-given Imago Dei image that is mm-hmm. present in them, um, that that the world, that society would see my husband in that light. Um, and I think in that way that there's a big rewriting that is happening now but still needs to happen um, for all of our children to be honored in this way. And um, I know it probably in some of your listeners' hearts, it is hard to hear Black Lives Matter. And yet until um, until we stop having um, unjust killings and or until injustice uh, and it stops happening in which systems uh, that are present benefit some but do not benefit all, we have to continue to lift up that phrase. We have to continue to lift up and to fight for our black and brown brothers and sisters um, and to believe in the goodness and the wholeness and the justice that is for all of us, um, but that is for for them and for those who do not have white skin and that we would um, we would fight for change in our country. Yeah. And I think so many times um, we just really don't understand. I remember sitting in one church service and I think it was after the Joplin um, riots and our pastor was talking and he talked about, you know, just how my my pastor's white. One of our pastors is white. We have black pastor. We have Chinese, but we have, but um, the white pastor was preaching. He's like, I want all of us to understand. And so he said, um, if you have ever been pulled over Mm. because of your skin color, stand up. Mm -hmm. Have you been ever been followed in a store or a restaurant because of your skin color? If you've ever been stopped, if you're just walking through the neighborhood because of your skin color. And as I sat there, Mm. uh, our associate pastor stood up, our elders stood up, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. a man who is a, a doctor. Yeah. At a teaching hospital, mm-hmm. um, a surgeon stood yeah. up. Uh, our state senator that goes to our church, who's a black woman, stood up, yeah. and yeah. Uh, some of our Hispanic and um, friends from South America stood up. Mm-hmm. And ninety nine percent of all the white people are still <laughs> sitting down. Yeah. And yeah. that was such an eye opening moment. I'm like, wait, no, mm-hmm. that is Mike, and mm-hmm. he is the best yeah. elder ever. He yeah. is open arms, and I'm like. People, I, it just it just brought that indignation in me that people would mm. treat him that way because I know him, like mm-hmm. I love him, mm-hmm. and those moments. Unless we have those moments mm. where we begin to truly mm. understand, uh, I don't think we can even you know we say like, oh, 
they're just making a big deal about it or yeah, there's yeah. it's too much there's yeah. they're expecting too much I mean we, but we really need to pause and listen and have our eyes open and start to see what is really going on and until we understand that I think just uh, we're not going to get any place for sure mm-hmm. yeah um yeah, well, a thousand percent until we see the mics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I love that as you <laughs> just read that. I mean, you called him by name, and that is mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is. Like until we truly see each other, until we truly see the mics of this world, um, I think that's where there's there is a big. Um, there's a, a rehauling that uh, will continue to have to, that will continue and has to ha- has to continue to happen, um, but that especially for those of us who are white that we would start to notice because when we yeah. start to notice, then um, I think our it, it moves from our eyes to our hearts, and when it moves to our hearts, then it begins to change us from the inside out. And when that happens, it's not just again people of color who are fighting, but um, those of us who are white are saying, okay, no, this is, this is the entirety of the kingdom of God. This is, this is God's beloved. This is God's chosen, um, children. These are, this is like every single one of us as a child of God and be that the case, then we say, no, what is happening when 99% of, um, the people of color who do not have white skin, who are in the room of the church, when they stand up and those of us who are white are not standing up, then that is injustice. And, mm-hmm. um, that is what we fight against. And that is, is that's where we say systems that are in place are not working. And so we are going to fight for change. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And I think, um, you know, many people will say, okay, now what do we do? And I mean, I know for me, it has been going out to coffee with a friend, Mm -hmm. um, talking to someone on the phone and checking to see how they're doing. When we see that there's injustice happening, I have a a black friend um, and I just would call him like, how are you doing? Like what's going on in your mind and heart right now? And I think, you know, so many times we think it has to be huge, big, things that we do, but really those conversations and listening to someone is a huge, big thing to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think often we don't understand that. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like I, I also appreciate that. Um, I mean, I think it certainly exists within friendship and, uh, within pursuing friendships, um, of people of different races and ethnicities. Um, I think it also exists within, um, fighting for change again in systems, mm-hmm, but, um, mm-hmm. what does it mean, uh, to, to get involved with a local school board? What does it mean yeah. like in the context of your church, um, for it, uh, re- change happens in the church, um, when change in leadership happens because, uh, you know, and it, it so it sounds like for your church, there's, um, an intention that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to have equal representation, um, because we can, we can, we can, a churches in particular, they can bring in, um, a person of color for a black person, for instance, to come in and speak during black history month. Um, and, <laughs> but that's not, that's not changing the structure. Uh, what right. changes the structure is actually going to the very heart of it. And so what does that mean in our schools? What does that mean in our churches? Um, what does that mean to, for those of us who are white to give up power, but what does it mean to to sign petitions, to um, vote in 59 days. What does it mean to um, raise awareness? I know it's a scary thing and a lot of people don't want to... um, uh, to, to, for instance, um, put out word on social media. And that is a scary thing. And also that's where I just go, it's not about you. (laughs) Like if people are dying, then it's not about you. And so, um, you can say something, 
you can put your big girl panties on and say something. Um, that's right. If we, if we have, um, extra money, we can donate to different causes, uh, whether it's fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor, whether it's for, um, issues of immigration and immigration rights and children who are being detained, um, at the border, um, whatever it is, there are opportunities that abound. I would be happy to send some of those to you, but, um, those are, we can also, Google things and yeah, <laughs> and find. Well, if you send in some links, we will definitely put them in the show notes. Cool. All right. I'm writing it down. I will do that as soon as we get yeah. off. Send links. <laughs> now I know. I mean, I've written lots of books, and I know with every book that I write, I know I'm writing, of course, to the reader, but I am changed in the process. Mm. So I would just love to hear as you sat down and you wrote The Color of Life, um, how are you changed? And was the was the journey of writing the book different than what you first thought? Oh, a thousand percent. Um, so, <laughs> Trisha, it sounds like you have written a lot of books. I have written one. Yes. I've actually written two. The other one uh, lives on the um, lives on the hard drive of the computer, and no one will ever see it. Um, it th- sounds like you also have about a thousand children, and I have two. So <laughs> I have <laughs> ten. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> That's a whole other episode. I'm sure you have uh, done many episodes about this. Woo! Yes. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I need to, I need to pay attention more. Um, uh, wowie, you can, you can delete this part, but, um, <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yes. I, you know, this book changed me a thousand percent. Um, I went in thinking, Oh wow, I've got a really great story to tell that the rest of the world needs to hear. Um, mm. and, uh, after about a thousand drafts, um, and certainly a thousand is a little bit I mean, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but there were some chapters that I rewrote probably 30 times. Mm. Um, I've been changed because I've realized that this is not about me. Um, uh, I mean, I, the, the, the draft itself went through significant rewrites. Um, and, and I'm so glad that we did that, but that was the hard work of digging in and of honoring, even if the book, um, the first audience is a white audience. Um, even, even if it is written first to a white audience who's stepping into issues of race and justice, it is one of those that, um, I wanted an honoring to happen, especially for my black and brown brothers and sisters. And so, after I finished one draft, we had specific readers um, who identify as Black who would go through and read it and say, you know what, this doesn't sit well with me. And so mm. they were rewriting that way. But uh, by the time the book came out for me, I knew enough to know that um, if I, as a white woman, got up on stage, for instance, when it this was when we were still allowed to like see people in the flesh and, and have book release parties, <laughs> conferences, and secret places. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> but um, I knew enough to know that if I got up on stage when it came to um, book events and just began to talk about it by myself that not only would I be missing the point talk about issues of race and racial justice, but everyone in the audience would be missing the point as well. And so it was a gift early on to have a friend of color who just said, you need to think about this. And instead of you getting up there, what would it look like for you to partner with and to elevate other artists and, or to come alongside other friends of color. And instead of it being an interview for it to be a conversation and, um, 
in the first year that the book released, I think I had something like 43 events and every single one of those was with or alongside another person of color, um, whether it was a conversation partner or whether it was another creative. And it was the biggest gift because it helped me realize again and again that um, this song isn't about me. And um, when it comes to the greater conversation, whether in our own hearts or in our churches or our schools or our country at large, this is where we just say, okay, here we go. Open arms. Um, This is about all of us. And this is about every single one of the beloved. And so um, I'm just grateful. Uh, I I think I was changed in the process and I hope hearts were opened as well in the process. That's so good. And I know, I mean, writing books, um, you know, I always put down, it seems like the first drafts are always kind of the easy things to say, the easy answers. And then those dang editors get in there and like, well, what do you really mean? They're the worst. And you, yeah, you say that, but what about this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't think about that. Yeah. Um, but I love that there was, you also had other readers and I, I try yeah. to have that too in some of my nonfiction other readers that will say well I don't know do you yeah. think that's biblical what you just said I'm like yeah. wait is it I like I've, I've heard that in church my life <sighs> and then really dig in oh, and, yeah. and see and I love that you had those conversations you know from the stage yeah which yeah. I think is so important and uh I think when we it's like we're letting people not only edit our work but mm-hmm. edit our lives like yeah. okay let me see yeah. what, what do you what is that yeah. and uh even when friends in the church mm-hmm. when we get together or teach at a, you know, lead our teen mom support group, mm-hmm. which is very diverse. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'll hear them say things. I'm like, you know what? You just said that a thousand times better than I ever did. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you touch parts that I never even thought of yeah, yeah. and we need each other. Yeah, we need each yeah. other to do that and have these conversations. And I love that mm-hmm. as you went out and you were able to, to be on the stages that it, they were conversations yeah, yeah. Um, and that your story and someone else's story together build a, a truer picture than if one person was just standing up there alone. I sure hope so. Yeah. yeah. So as, as you step forward, um, I know you've probably had more interviews now, <laughs> resurgence of interviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, more time to, to share your heart and your conversation. So what do you hope, like for someone listening today um, that's listening to my podcast and, mm. you know, of course, of course we're going to say go pick up The Color of Life <laughs> by Kara Meredith and read the book. But as we're closing, um, what would you say to just speak to their hearts and, you know, I, I'll give you the platform to just share the one thing you want them to walk away with at the end of this conversation. This conversation is for you. This conversation mm-hmm. is for all of us. This conversation is not limited to our brothers and sisters of color, but, um, if you are listening and leaning in, even if um, there's some there's a myriad of emotions going on inside of you and you don't necessarily know what to do them do with them, maybe you're feeling angry, maybe you're feeling a little bit of sadness, whatever it is, that is okay. Um, God sees you and God honors you and God celebrates who you are, and God sees and honors and celebrates every single one of us, and so. I would encourage you to lean in and to enter in and um, to know that there is um, space for your wrestling. There is space Mm -hmm. for the questions that you have. There is space for learning and growing. Um, There is space for saying, I'm sorry. There is space for getting things wrong. 
Um, and um, there is space for rewriting broken um, and unjust systems in our in our world. So enter in, listen and learn, and listen some more, and do and be changed. And um, yes, if you buy a copy of my book, wonderful. And also buy a copy of a book written by a person of color and read them side by side. Yeah. Um, yeah. And read with intention and live with intention. And um, you are God's beloved, dear child. And God sees you and God honors you. And um, we celebrate this journey with you. So good. And I love how you said there's space to get things wrong. Mm. (laughs) I think that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of saying something wrong. And I guarantee you probably will, but that's okay. Like if you're trying, people know you're trying. My friends know I'm trying. They'll be like, really? No. (laughs) No, Trisha, that was right. To be able to admit that, it's huge. And it, it matters. I think especially... Um, for those of us who are white, we don't want to get it wrong. And yet that can sometimes be the thing that stops us. And that's not okay. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned reading a book of a person from a person of um, a different race. I love The Warmth of Other Suns. Have uh, you read that? Yep. Isabel Wilkerson. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Such a good book. So give us one more recommendation. I've, I think I've recommended that book on this podcast before and I'll put it in the show notes. The Warmth of Other Suns, which is about the, the great migration uh-huh. um, from people from the South to Chicago and mm-hmm. New York and California. And what they experienced blew my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, it's such an amazing book, but yeah. I I would love for you as we're closing to share uh, maybe one other book. Yeah, absolutely. And I do recommend Wilkerson's book um, in my book as well. There are 20 recommended books um, that are 16, excuse me, oh, that are good. in the back section. That is one of them. And Wilkerson also, this is not my recommendation, but don't get me talking about books, but uh, Wilkerson has a new book called Cast. Um, which I have not read yet, but I hear is absolutely incredible. Cast as in the oh, cast good. system, C-A-S-T-E. Yeah. Uh, but the the book that I'm going to recommend for you to pair it with is a book by my, my girl Patrice Gopo, All the Colors We Will See. Um, Patrice is a black woman. Uh, she lived in Alaska growing up. She now lives, um, in North Carolina. She married, uh, an African man and hers is, hers is also a memoir. It's a collection of essays. Um, but it's a deep dive into, uh, the kinds of conversations that matter. I will be happy, Trisha, to set you up with Patrice if you'd be interested with her being on oh, your podcast, but yes, I, I totally have a writer crush on Patrice. I just think that the way she um, leans into words is absolutely phenomenal. So you can go to your favorite bookseller and you can order All the Colors We can we Will See by Patrice Scopo and then The Color of Life by Kara Meredith. And there you go. That's all you need in this world. There we go. <laughs> and I was, yeah. So I already wrote it down uh, and we'll make sure and have it in the show notes. I'm excited about that book by Patrice. That sounds awesome. Cool. Um, now, Tell us online where we can connect with you for listeners that want to connect with you and learn more about you and your life and your writing. Sure. Yeah, I would love to connect with folks. Uh, You can go to my website, karameredith.com. If you're interested also in an autographed copy of my book, uh, you can buy a copy from there. I have a whole bunch of um, books from canceled events this last spring. So (laughs) My garage is so full. Um, I just put a a Shopify store on my website because I'm like, people, my garage is overflowing with books from these conferences I was supposed to speak at. 
Oh yeah, it's a little ridiculous. So please go to Trisha's website and go to my website. <laughs> yes, um, please. 100% of proceeds right now from my website will go to help the um, those affected by uh, wildfires in California. Side oh, note there. Awesome. Um, well, on my website, they just feed my kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is allowed because there are 10, as you pointed yes. out earlier. Even if one lives in the Czech Republic. Yes. Your granddaughter. Um, yes. So... Uh, so karameredith.com. Otherwise, on Facebook and Instagram, uh, those are probably the two best places to find me. I'm at writes. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. I love this conversation. I am going to pick up this book by Patrice and hopefully connect with her. But I just appreciate you being here, sharing your heart and sharing your story. So thank you so much, Kara. Wow, I am so thankful for Kara sharing her story. And this isn't just a story of one person, which I'm so thankful that she does share about her husband and her kids. But these are stories that are happening all around us. And for so many of us, we don't even understand. Now, in the last 10 years since I've moved to Little Rock, I've received a great education. I've learned about racial injustice and my heart has been broken. I've drawn near to friends and I've tried to understand their experiences. And even though I grew up in a small town that was racially diverse, I never really understood racial privilege and that I just took that for granted, that that's how everyone is treated. And I've learned since then that everyone is not treated with immediate respect and immediate care and concern. And I'm still learning. And that's why I love conversations with people like Kara, who can give us a glimpse into her lives and into the lives of so many others. These conversations help me to understand better and to love people deeper. Now, Kara is a white woman who's married to a black man. But in our church here in Little Rock, I've met so many couples from different ethnic, ethnic races. And their stories are so similar about how they're treated, about how people look at them differently, about how people treat them differently. Um, and I'm so thankful for Kara writing these experiences in the color of love, just to remind us all how we can listen better, how we can love deeper, and that we can remember again and again that God's good news, his message, um, Jesus coming to sacrifice his life is for all nations, all races. And, um, and some people don't even get to hear the gospel of the good news because of the prejudice they receive. So today's walk it out verse is Isaiah 61 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes the seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And I just love this so much because when we're together in eternity, it's going to be all of us together, black and white and brown and every color under the sun. And together, we're going to be lifting our praise to God. And I love where Jesus says, you know, as it is on heaven, may it be on earth. We want God's kingdom to come on the earth where we all are treated with love and respect. So let me just pray for us today. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for Kara. I thank you for her husband and her boys. I thank you for Kara being willing to share her message, share her story, and 
just open our eyes to the racial injustices around the world. Lord, I know sometimes I have just taken for granted the respect and the care that I'm given. And I pray that you will help me to see that not everybody receives that and help all of us to just have ears that will listen, eyes that will see, and a heart being willing to step out and help people be a voice to love people all in your name, Lord. I know that um, that we cannot do this alone, that so many of the problems with racial injustice cannot be solved um, by outward laws, but by changes in our heart. And I pray, although we do want good laws to be in place too, I pray that each of us will look at our own hearts and teach our kids to love other people unconditionally. I pray for Kara's family. I pray for this book that it will just go out and bless many people. And I pray that Kara will continue to be a voice um, for so many. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friend, thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. Thank you for taking time to listen to these stories, to hear points of view, to think about um, God's kingdom and what he desires on earth. I know every conversation that I have, I'm encouraged, I'm inspired. These conversations go deep into my heart and I hope that they go deep into your heart too. I would also love you to share this podcast or other podcasts. If you've been encouraged, if you've been inspired, if you've been helped in some way, um, just share it. I was actually at a women's group and the speaker was telling others what she had heard on one of the podcasts and how much it had blessed her. So just be sure to maybe forward the link or tell people to subscribe to the Walk It Out podcast with Trisha Goyer. And I hope that many more more people will be encouraged and inspired by this. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you for choosing to hear and to listen to other people's stories. Thank you for all that you do to support us. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.